Welcome to the Donaghclody Parish Podcast. We're an Anglican Evangelical Church committed to glorifying God, preaching the gospel, and making disciples. Our current evening series is from First Kings. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who's revealed yourself in these 66 books of the Bible. We thank you that you've been its author. And so we pray for help to listen, uh, to be humble. We pray that we would understand it. And we want to hear you speak to us this evening. We want to hear you speak directly to us in your word. To build us up, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we were thinking of First and Second Kings like a roller coaster. And how the first quarter of it is like that uphill before the roller coaster drops and your stomach's in your mouth. Well, truth be told, even on that upslope, there's a little bit of a bumpy road. And tonight, we're going to look at a little bit of a bumpy road on the way that King Solomon establishes his kingdom. And we're going to see how the kingdom passes from David to this now appointed king, from David to Solomon. And if we look at verses 12 and 46, if you look in the passage there, it says, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. This chapter is about Solomon establishing his kingdom. Things are pretty dangerous at the start of chapter 2, but by the end, the kingdom has been established. Solomon is recognized with all his authority. And that's because people were backing another king, one who wasn't God's king. And although Solomon had been crowned, their ambitions weren't so easily going to end. And the book of 1 and 2 Kings are about to give us a lot of examples about coups and counter-coups. And clearly here, Solomon's kingdom just as he takes it from David's hands, is vulnerable. And the way that Solomon's kingdom is established might seem brutal to us. But as we see, read our passage, I want you to see the schemes and the deaths that put an end to the evil here. And surely this is this just highlights what many people think of the Old Testament, that it's just one person killing after another, a nasty, bloodthirsty scene that we don't really want to look at. But actually, all Scripture is God-breathed. So Paul writes to Timothy, isn't it? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this part of the Bible is useful for us tonight. Uh, We need to see here that this is God's people, Israel. And the king here is God's king. Solomon's kingdom is God's kingdom. And in that kingdom, we see a picture of King David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the kingdom of God that Jesus came and proclaimed, the kingdom that he opened to us through his death and resurrection, the kingdom that one day will come in all its fullness when Jesus returns in his glory. 
And we might look at this chapter and think to ourselves, well, this Solomon guy doesn't seem that nice. Look at all this murder. Well, that's actually missing the point. Because what we're being shown here is the shape of what one day will come, a shadow of the reality as we saw last week. And the main issue of this chapter is this, how God will establish God's kingdom. How will he make it secure? And that's very relevant to us, whether in that kingdom or whether like Adonijah, we're thinking of putting the crown on our own heads. So let's listen to David's final words here. Let's listen to him as we speak to his son on his deathbed. Obviously, our final words are very, very important. And on his deathbed, David effectively says two things. First of all, God's king walks in God's ways. Secondly, God's king deals with God's enemies. So there's our first point. God's king walks in God's ways. And let's get to our passage and let's look at those first two verses. It says, when the time drew near... For David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm going, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong, act like a man. Be strong, man up Solomon. But what is this manly strength meant to look like? Well, let's read on. Verse three, so be strong, act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. It's very different to how the world thinks of manliness, isn't it? To the world, manliness being, means being your own boss. It means independence, means doing what you want. It means stepping on people to get what you want. But true manliness here in the Bible is living God's way. It's learning the Bible. It's living it out. That takes real strength, real courage to do that. And actually, that challenger charge comes not only here, but it's Moses' charge to his understudy, Joshua. It says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left. You may be successful, that you may be successful wherever you go. It's what Paul said to his understudy, Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's what Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 16. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. That's what it means to be strong. It means to walk in God's ways. And that's what David tells Solomon. Because only then will he prosper, and only then will God's kingdom be established. So look at the end of verse 3. Do this, so that you may prosper in all you do, and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, 
If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And as we read on, we'll see that most of First Kings chapter 2 to 11 is taken up of how Solomon carried out David's instruction. But actually, as we get into chapter 11, we're going to see that he failed to walk faithfully before God. With disastrous consequences, the kingdom was split in two. Uh, the people were taken over by the Syrians and then the Babylonians. But what we need to realize is this is a shape of the reality to come. It's not the real thing. The kingdom of God is established in Jesus. For there never was a more manly man. There has never been a stronger man than Jesus Christ. And a lot of people laugh at that. Because their picture of Jesus is of a kind of hippies and a pair of sandals with a caftan on. A real wet. But actually, never was manly strength more perfectly displayed than in the life of Jesus. He was the one who always obeyed God, walking in perfect obedience. And we might think, maybe that was easy for Jesus. But actually, do you remember his baptism? Well, straight after that, we're told in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, that at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. At every step on his earthly journey, he was opposed by religious leaders. He knew the frailties of the human body. He faced temptation by the devil. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was nailed upon a cross. And yet he showed himself to be a true man by walking in God's ways, even obedient to death on a cross. And because he did, he prospered. Throughout his life, he knew his father's love and favor. And now, of course, God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name. He has prospered and his kingdom has been established forever and ever. And it's true, if we walk in obedience, we too will be blessed Actually, the blessing of the kingdom isn't given to us because of obedience. No, it's the obedience of this king, King Jesus, that we read of here. That's what's important. And all the kings in first, first and Second Kings were flawed. Jesus is the only king who has been totally obedient. So his kingdom is secure. It's eternal. It doesn't look much like that if you look at the church. But Jesus reigned will go on forever and ever because he's the true obedient one. And we're foolish if we think that we'll be more secure if we go to someone else or try to live on our own and not repent and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have a king who has walked so faithfully before God with all his heart and soul that his kingdom is secure. So that's God's king walks in God's way. Here's our second point this evening. God's king deals with God's enemies. Well, how is God's kingdom established? Well, as God's king deals with God's enemies, that's the bit that shocks us most here. 
David almost seems like the godfather, you know, the Italian mafia doing one hit after the other. And so we hear Solomon following his father's orders and eliminating their rivals. But actually, he's not a mafia boss taking the law into his own hand. Solomon, remember, is God's king, the one entrusted with the God-given responsibility in exercising God's justice. It's partly the reason why he's told to man up, told to be careful to follow God's law, to know it, to walk in it. Because one of the reasons that we walk in God's way is that we know the one who is just, and we walk in God's justice. And twice, David tells Solomon in verses 6 and 9 here to use his wisdom to deal with God's enemies. Because Solomon's throne won't be established if he hasn't dealt with God's enemies here. And in these three killings, we're being showed a kingdom that's spared from a whole pile of other deaths, probably wars, which would have happened otherwise. And the first to be dealt with is Adonijah. It's noticeable that David doesn't mention Adonijah. As we saw last week, he was prone to indulge his sons, to overlook their little foibles, all at his own cost. We saw last that Adonijah taking his chance to get, last week we saw Adonijah taking his chance to to get to the throne, coming close to getting it. But it seems here in chapter 2, even though he had run to the tabernacle, even though he had to grab those horns of the altar to save his life, Well, it seems that he hasn't given up his ambitions to wear a crown. Let's look at verse 13 in our passage. Now, Adonijah, son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba asked him, do you come peacefully? He answered, yes, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you. You may say it. As you know, he he said, the kingdom was mine. All Israel looked to me as king, but things changed and the kingdom has gone to my brother for it has come to him from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she said. So he continued, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. You'll remember Abishag, as we saw her last week, was the King David's bedwarmer. We're told that she was very beautiful. But I don't think Adonijah was worrying about her beauty. It's her significance he wants. If he can take the king's place in the king's bed, that would be a way of strengthening his hand on the throne. Because he still wants to be king. And Solomon gets it. Because it's clear to him when he hears his mother Bathsheba come to him and ask this request, what Adonijah means. Look at verse 23. Actually, look at verse 22. King Solomon answered his mother, Why do you request Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? You might as well request a kingdom for him. After all, he is my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abiathar the priest and Joab son of Zeruai. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, May God deal with me, be it ever severely, if Adonijah does not pay with his life for this request. Solomon being too harsh? Well, Adonijah was committing high treason. And so after being shown mercy, 
after being saved from treason before, now he's put to death. And Solomon sees that Elijah isn't the only one. And so he sends for Abiathar the priest, and he's sacked. He's sent back to his farm. And we see here that Solomon isn't just killing everyone around him. No, there is justice here. And if we look at verse 27, we see it's God's justice. So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word the Lord had spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. Well, the next on the block is Joab. He runs to the tabernacle to take sanctuary at the altar, just as Adonijah had. But we read in verse 32 that Joab is a murderer. He's killed two rivals already, Abner and Amasa. And so justice is called for here. There'd be no peace in Solomon's kingdom for a man with like, men like Joab. And so he receives divine justice. Look at verse 32. The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed, because without my father David knowing it, he attacked two men and killed them with the sword, both them Abner, son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Abasan, son of Jether, commander of Judah's army, were better men and more upright than he. May the guilt of their blood rest on the head of Joab and his descendants forever, but of David and his descendants, his house and his throne, may there be the Lord's peace forever. And then there's Shimei. Well, we don't read about Shimei in chapter 1, but Shimei had mocked King David, hurling curses at him. And King David had made a promise not to take Shimei's life. But now he charges his son to bring about justice. Shimei is not allowed to go back to his own town where he might have stirred up rebellion He's to live in Jerusalem. And Solomon makes Shimei swear an oath that if he leaves Jerusalem, he'll forfeit his life. Well, things seem to be going okay. But three years later, he breaks his oath trying to fetch some runaway slaves. And it might seem quite heavy-handed, but again, this is divine justice. Look at verse 44. The king also said to Shimei, you know in your heart all the, ring, all the wrong you did to my father, David. Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing. The King Solomon will be blessed and David's throne will remain secure before the Lord. And the chapter ends, verse 46. Then King David gave the order of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck down Shimei, down and he died. The kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. Only now that all of God's enemies are destroyed is the kingdom secure. Only when evil has been punished can God's peace and blessing be enjoyed. God's kingdom is established when there is justice. That is when Jesus came to earth. He announced the kingdom of God was at hand. It was near because the king had come. And it was in his death and resurrection that the kingdom was established. There at the cross, his enemies were defeated. There at the cross, justice was finally done. Sin was punished. And the most glorious part about it was that it was the king himself who took the punishment. Listen to these words from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. See, in God's kingdom, no sin can go unpunished. And wonderfully, King Jesus bore his people's sin on the cross. King David's greater son paid our price. Our guilt was laid on his head. And that is the only way that you or I can be part of God's kingdom. Through Jesus' perfect obedience, even unto death. But we still await his kingdom in all its fullness. The day when Jesus will return, as the Bible tells us, to judge the living and the dead. And we might shrink from reading about Benaniah chopping off heads left, right, and here, left and right here, should I say. And we might think that he might be as much as a thug as Job was, but on that last day, the one wielding the sword will be the perfect man. The man with clean hands and a pure heart. The King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And he will do it with perfect justice. Even in this chapter, you see, justice is patient justice. Abner's death had happened 30 years before. And on the last day, that great last day, we will see that our king has been so patient with us. The justice we see here is fair justice. There's no one size fits all. Abiathar, Abiathar gets off lightly and the justice on that last day too will be perfect justice. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. For some, there will be reward for faithful service. As Jesus said, the Son of Man will send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing fire and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This chapter of 1 Kings speaks of very serious truths. You see, every sin will be punished. Punished either in the cross or punished in hell. And on that great day of judgment, only then will God's kingdom, kingdom be finally established. So the question goes out, will we accept God's kingdom? Will we accept his king? Will we accept his offer of forgiveness? And if we do, will we marvel at his mercy? And if we've done that, the encouragement of the chapter is that because of Christ's obedience, because of Christ's justice, his justice established when he bore sin on the cross, his justice one day when he returns, 
his kingdom will be eternally secure. And if we've repented and if we've honored Christ as our Lord and Savior and live with him as our Lord and Savior, we too will be secure in that kingdom. And if we're part of that kingdom, do we see the confidence we can have? Do you see the joy we can have? Do you see the hope that is offered here? May we come under the authority of God's king rather than think that we can rule things ourselves. And I take seriously this word. It is a, a witty word. I pray that you will consider these truths and repent and put your trust in God's king and know that when you do that, you're part of that eternal kingdom because Jesus has walked with all obedience before his father. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that because of your perfect obedience, even the death on the cross, you will reign forever and ever. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be speaking to hearts and minds tonight, challenging them, beseeching them to come into your kingdom, to submit to your rule, to repent and to realize the security and blessing that is a fine when we know you as our king. We pray that we might have great hope as we look forward to the day when you bring your kingdom in all its fullness. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Donnacony Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donnacony Parish, please check out our website www.donaglonyparish.co.uk or find us on social media.